Conversations with the wayward and the wise. This is your host, Dr. Ila Manga, coming to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. Threads of Healing is the space for exploring what healing could mean by having deep conversations with wisdom keepers, doctors, artists, storytellers, fact finders, and visionaries. We bring awareness to the voices who have answered their call to heal and to discover a new way of living, breathing and being in the world and will inspire you to do the same. Today I'm incredibly honored and privileged to welcome a guest that I hold in deep reverence. She's a contemporary sage and a powerful healer, a holder of indigenous and sacred knowledge systems. She's a scholar and a scientist whose studies span broadly across the disciplines of medicine, engineering, education, technology, and socio-economic development and cosmology, but whose personal practice has taken her deep into the mystical traditions of African indigenous wisdom, teachings of the mysteries of ancient Egypt and Chinese medicine. She's the chairperson of the Credo Mutua Foundation and is part of the Alliance of the Protection of Sacred Sites. Her wisdom is deeply embodied and expressed through her practice of wushu. I believe the world needs to deeply listen to the wisdom that comes through her. So today, I'm very proud and privileged to introduce to you Rotendo Gara. Rotendo, welcome to Threads of Healing. Thank you so much, Ila. Thank you so much for this invitation. Well, you know, I was going through your, your bio and it occurred to me that your wisdom, your inherent knowing of who you are was probably something that was with you very early on in life. That must have been a challenge for you growing up. Perhaps I can take it right down to when I was born. Um, so my father is Zimbabwean from Zimbabwe and uh, he met my mother in Lesotho and uh, they got married in Lesotho and then he took her through apartheid South Africa, through the warring Zimbabwe to introduce him to his relatives in Zimbabwe. Uh, and um, <clears throat> my mom saw a chameleon and went into labor. She'd never seen an animal that changes color and moves so slowly. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, so they rushed her to the local clinic, hospital, but it was literally just a two-roomed clinic. And there, um, the nurses would not allow her to enter because according to the cosmology or the culture from Zimbabwe, a child that's born at midday, which is when I was trying to be born, is a curse. And, um, you know, normal children, they said, are born either at dusk or at dawn. And so they, she was literally not allowed to enter into the clinic, you know, to give birth to me. Interesting enough, she had to go back home to the village and uh, she returned the next day, once again going into labor at uh, midday, you know, around the midday hour. And uh, my aunt, my dad's sister had to birth me at uh, completely not knowing what to do, you know, on the 
kind of the, the steps of the the, the, the clinic um, at exactly 12 o'clock, um, which was the time of the curse. And so I have kind of carried that through through my life. You know, um, people would tell my mom to throw me into the deepest river, you know, because they felt that there was something about me that was unusual, um, that did not fit into the paradigm, you know, as it was known. And uh, so it's it's I've carried seeing things and not knowing how to make sense of it because the people around me did not know how to make sense of it. And so that labeled me mad, you know, at some point. Um, but through particular journeys of initiations, I've managed to bring myself back towards myself and uh, start to understand kind of the totality of what it is that I was being called for. But before you understood what was happening, did you identify with this idea that there was something wrong with you, that this was a curse? Was was that something you you related to? Absolutely, absolutely. As I said, because um, certainly the society that I lived in, um, certainly coming back from the, the 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 even for instance, the Christian background that I came, you know, came from and also the traditional background that I came for, um, I was, I didn't fit into the box, you know, I didn't fit into any of the boxes. And so for me, it meant that there was something wrong with me, you know, and uh, I couldn't, I couldn't make sense of it mm-hmm. um, because nobody could make sense of me. And uh, so then I bought into the idea that there was something wrong. I ended up in psychiatric care as well. And, um, you know, after five years of uh, psychiatric care, um, the psychiatrist actually came to me and said, look, Rotendo, you've actually just been called to be a healer. You know, I have spent five years pumping you with all sorts of medicines, uh, which I was not meant to do. I've destroyed you. Go and find yourself. Um, so I did buy into it, uh, but I'm grateful for that um, mm-hmm. because it's, it's, it's helped me to understand life better and it's also helped me to understand other people's journeys better because many people who come into my, into my, into my purview s- suffer from similar you know, issues and so I've had the opportunity to, you know, to draw from my own experience in serving as a mirror, not necessarily seeing them through me, but just as a mirror that they can see themselves. And uh, so I'm grateful for the experience that I had. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's when we kind of step back and look at our, our lives uh, from a different perspective and reflect on the role of that suffering and we can appreciate the gift of that. And in the moment, it's not always easy to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it has definitely not been easy. And uh, I think I've probably spent about 30 years trying to find myself, you know. And uh, and it's only in recent times uh, that I've been able to be truly appreciative of, of the experience. What was the shift for you? So I wouldn't put the shift as a once-off event, I'd put it as a process, and it, it, it has been a process of self-discovery and a process of listening. And uh, so over a period of about 10 years, I found myself being called, strangely enough, to various sacred sites. And uh, it was quite frustrating for my boss at the time. I'd be sitting in the office working, and suddenly I'd have this urge to drive to the Kalahari, you know, or this urge to drive to Zimbabwe, or this urge to drive to Limpopo, and go and talk to a baobab tree and then 
drive back, you know. So it would be kind of this fourteen-hour drive because something was calling me, you know. And uh, and and it, it happened over about ten years where I found myself being called in this particular way, not quite understanding what was happening, which also fed into my idea that okay, there's something seriously wrong with me. Um, I must be completely mad, but it's only kind of in recent times that I've you know I've become to understand as especially as the call for you mentioned that I'm part of the Alliance for Sacred Sites of the Earth Gaia, you know as you know the the call for sacred sites to be taken into far more into the mainstream and you know protected um, that have started understanding what the call was and uh, started understanding how nature speaks and how we're called by the, the, the speaking of nature and how this is the indigenous way that healing um, takes part. Um, so, yeah. Do you believe that our reconnection with sacred sites is important, especially where we find ourselves now? Absolutely. I'll give a story. Um, about four years ago, I happened to go to Zimbabwe with a friend. Uh, she wanted to. She was from 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 the Netherlands, and she just wanted to experience Zimbabwe. So we travelled through the country for fourteen days. You know, going to several sacred sites in Zimbabwe. But on our way there, driving from South Africa, we got to the Zimbabwe border, and there was a fire. Um, there was smoke, you know, billowing. And the country was in kind of a national lockdown because there was a protest. Now, Zimbabweans are very... It's, it takes a lot for Zimbabweans to go into protest, you know, especially we, we natural, you know, okay. <laughs> especially natural protests. Yes. So it, there we were, not able to cross the border because, you know, the border was, was shut down because there was this natural pro uh, protest. Uh, thankfully, my companion and I are quite had the, of the same mind, so we just found a different way of getting into Zimbabwe. We went via Botswana. <laughs> and uh, we found ourselves at some point in the north of the country in a very remote village uh, with a people that are very remote and almost seen as backward because they're, they're you know, considered even by the contemporary Zimbabwean people as being quite primitive. And these are the Tonga people who are uh, custodians of the Zambezi River, uh, which, which actual name is Kasamambezi, which means only they who know are able to cross. And uh, or they who know the ways of the river are able to cross. And uh, so we found ourselves with uh, an elder from uh, the Tonga people. And I said to him, you know, why is the country in turmoil at the moment? Why is, is it a national protest? And he said, it's because the elephants no longer walk past and give us their messages and because the sacred sites have been fenced and we can no longer do our ceremonies. And it seemed so out there, so esoteric, you know, you know how can you, you know, equate socioeconomic decline, you know, to elephants walking past and giving messages, you know, or being able to do, you know, ceremonies at the sacred sites. Um, but if we understand African cosmology, you know, we understand or indigenous cosmology that everything is connected, everything is interconnected, interrelated and interdependent. And you cannot se separate the political from the spiritual. Mm -hmm. You cannot separate the emotional from the mental. You know, you cannot separate the physical, you know, from the everlasting. And uh, so it's, it's only with time that one was, would, would be able to unpack those few words that he said into understanding what, you know, indigenous cosmology is all about, you know. And uh, we know that elephants are keepers of memory, 
you know, so when, you know, he spoke about the elephants walking past, we know, and we know they walk silently and they're matriarchal, you know, so there's something in that, you know, that he was saying and which is very relevant now um, because if we've known in, in, in Botswana we're having elephants just spontaneously dying. Yes. You know, and uh, what is that saying about yes. the time that we're in? You know, when the keepers of memory, the matriarchs, are literally just keeling over and dying, you know. We also know that our baobabs are spontaneously imploding. And, I mean, they have existed for thousands of years. And what is it about this time that is causing them to spontaneously implode? And uh, I think if we go into indigenous wisdom, we may start to have understanding of, A, what's happening, but B, how it is that we've probably strayed away from the way of nater or nature um, in our dealings with life as humans. You know, you're speaking to two principles of healing that I've been thinking about a lot. And the first is that healing is relational, mm -hmm. that we are relational beings. We are in relation to aspects of ourselves. We are in relation to each other. We are in deep relation to nature and to our history. Absolutely. And the second is that healing is the relationship between remembering and imagining. Mm. And I think your story really brings that to light and to the fore. And I think it's so beautiful that this wisdom is held in these indigenous knowledge systems. And our invitation is to return to them, to figure out what it means for us now. You know, the first time I met you, I think, uh, you, were, you were describing a beautiful concept of two. And it really, really touched me and it stayed with me. Can you tell us a little bit about the concept of Ntu, Ubuntu? Absolutely. Um, but before I go that, let me go back into healing as memory or remembering. And uh, in our indigenous paradigm, remember has got different attributes to it. It is to remember as in going back into the, into the recesses of memory but it is also remember as in bringing the parts that have been fragmented together. So remembering, as well as remembering, reminding us all that we're part of the same member. You know, we're members of the same whole. And so this is what, when we speak about in two, you know, we, we, we're speaking about. Um, so Ubuntu has become quite a catchphrase. And, you know, we have everything from software programs to, you know, marketing programs, you know, that are named after Ubuntu. And it's often said to be, I am because we are. And, uh, and the, the, the contemporary understanding is, is quite a humanized understanding. It's that I am because you as Ela are. You know, my, my humanity is your humanity. And it's often termed as humanity. But when we start to unpack actually what Ubuntu is, we realize it is a lot more than just a relation between one human to the other or one grouping of humans to another grouping. And uh, so first, let me go back into, we spoke about nature. And uh, in indigenous African cosmology, uh, the all-pervasive force that exists, everything, the all that is, is called nater. And if you take out the, um, the consonant, the, the vowels in that, it's N-T-R. And if we place other vowels into that, we see nature. 
you know so the word uh, of for the all pervasive all existing everything you know is nature which is actually nature it has found itself through latin as natura into nature as we know it and this nature has an imminent and imminent force that flows through it and this imminent and imminent force is into mm-hmm. and uh, into persists subsists in everything in other uh if amongst the vendor they might call it mupo it just exists in everything and is it the same as chi is it the same as is it the same as prana it has the same similar quality you okay. know because it just exists in everything um amongst the bushmen here they'll call it ngum you know mm-hmm. and so it, it just persists and subsists in in, in everything and then it manifests into four main archetypes the first is muntu mm-hmm. with the plural of bantu and muntu is a reasoned being an intelligent being mm-hmm. and so this is human beings um who are this aspect of how untu manifests itself and they have the principle of reason and rationality and intelligence and their plural is bantu So according to Bantu cosmology all humans are actually Bantu you know because they exist as this um this manifestation of Bantu and then the next is uh what we call Kintu or Bintu in the plural and Kintu are unreasoned beings um or those that are acted upon by the reasoned being being uh, Muntu in order to come into manifestation and we may speak about plants we may speak about animals we may speak about minerals we may speak about any a uh, being that does not necessarily have what we as humans may consider to be the intelligence the, the reasoned intelligence what is very interesting about kintu is that it includes it does not include trees because trees sit under the the category of muntu wow as beings as human beings because trees are the ones that carry from this realm into the realms of the ancestors and as we know in indigenous cosmology there is no difference between those who have walked before those who exist now and those who are to come so our ancestors our our living beings and our descendants are all part of the same continuum and trees are the medium through which um these are carried wow, that's so incredible yeah and then the third principle is hantu and hantu denotes time but it also denotes space so it is the where and the when and if we go into limpopo here in south africa you'll often find a place called ha something or ha something you know or even in in case it in kwa you know which is denoting this principle of ha which is a time space continuum and if i sp- say that people may think quantum physics So here is a, a, a principle that has existed for millennia in African cosmology that actually speaks to what quantum physics has recently discovered that time and space are collapsed into a single continuum. And so it is this where and when that is inherent in in Hantu. And then the fourth aspect of Hantu is what we call Kuntu which is a modality. So or it's a, a modal force that we don't necessarily see or touch but we sense such as fear or beauty or you know any you know emotion that or or, or expression, expression mm-hmm. you know that doesn't necessarily have a manifestation in a physical being and so these four muntu kintu hantu and uh, kuntu are all aspects of untu so now going back to when you spoke about relation when we speak about healing healing must be an alignment between these four between time and space 
you know, between uh, things or unreasoned things, between human beings and between the expressions that they have. And when we speak about healing, we are relating in these three aspects in an interconnected, interdependent, and interrelated manner. So you know that I'm really passionate about uh, breathing, conscious breathing and breath work and its role in healing. How is breath referred to in African cosmology and in the disciplines that you study in the wisdom of ancient Egypt in all the aspects of healing that you work with? Yeah, so breath can be moya um, here in southern Africa, um, even in Zimbabwe. And uh, so moya is breath, but it's also uh, like if we, uh, if we, if we go into, into Zimbabwe, it's moya, which is also the spirit. So breath is spirit, uh, and it is it is the way we connect with and to. It's the breath is the is the is the, is the modality through which and to manifests through us as especially as reasoned beings, um, but even animals they have spirit you know that expresses itself through breath. Mm -hmm. So this um, cyclical. Um, experience of the expansion and contraction of the lungs where we're taking in one aspect of whether it is the oxygen which has a feminine attribute to it and expelling you know carbon dioxide which is a masculine aspect to it you know then starts to you know to to show us how it is that spirit exists within us you know through moya or moya um, exists through us through breath and so it is it is the way the transportation of of breath, and of course, when we spoke about trees, they do this through the process of photosynthesis. You know, where they're transforming light into into sugar, and so that is the breath. You know that that they have, and it's the spirit through which the ancestors are carried into the present, making space for the descendants who are yet to come. Something else that really struck me about the first time I heard you speak was this idea of rivers as as almost meridians, and this kind of concept of as above, so below. And every aspect of nature is reflected within our beings. Can you tell us more about, about the rivers of Africa? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's a subject I absolutely love um, because Africa has four or five great rivers. It has the longest river in the world, um, which is the Nile, which is more than 6,000 kilometers long. It has the deepest river and the most powerful river of the, in the world, which is the Congo River. It also has the most obscure river in the world, which is the Niger River. The Niger River, unlike most rivers, we know they'll go from a place of higher altitude and make their way towards the ocean. The Niger River follows a, an interesting and obscure course. It, it, it arises about 250 kilometers from the ocean, and instead of moving down that 250 kilometers to the ocean, it moves inwards to, into the Sahara Desert, past Timbuktu, making a weird turn right through the Niger Delta, eventually traveling 4,000 kilometers instead of 250 kilometers that it could have traveled to the ocean. Wow. No. <laughs> I mean, just in, in that itself, there, there's so much symbolism and absolutely, meaning, right? Absolutely, which is the indigenous way. It won't take the shortest route. It will take the most, it won't even take the most what may be seen as the most efficient route, because the efficient route would have been for the river to start arise and go that 250 kilometers to the to to the ocean, but instead takes this obscure route, and what arises from that is the Niger Delta, 
and the Niger Delta has one of the largest biodiversities on the continent. And, uh, you know, it's also where it's very rich in oil, you know, and all manners of things. You know, all of this because the river has taken an obscure route um, into, into finally, you know, emptying into, into the river. And this is what indigenous knowledge teaches us, you know, this is the way of indigenous knowledge. It may seem obscure, like, you know, the elder telling us that, no, there's this a natural protest because the elephants are not walking past anymore. But that's the obscurity of, 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 of ancient wisdom, you know, that uh, we need to truly understand its nature in order to, to understand. And it's not obvious. It's not obvious. It's not obvious. It, it, it requires you to get into a particular way of being into a particular paradigm in order to experience and experience um, what what the, the true meaning is and we can't rationalize it you know and uh, and I think a lot of maybe our difficulties have been trying to rationalize indigenous wisdom and it can't be natu- it can't be rationalized you know um, indigenous wisdom will tell you that there's a dynamic still point that you can be simul- simultaneously still and moving at the same time. Um, that we can't rationalize with our brain, but we can experience and experience if we go into the ceremony of what indigenous knowledge is, 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 is feeding us. In the fourth river is the, uh, the Kasamambezi that I spoke about, you know, or the Zambezi River, which flows through the largest curtain of water in the world, which is Musiwatunya, the smoke that thunders, that is more popularly known as Victoria Falls. And these rivers um, have many interesting attributes to them. The Nile River lies on what they call the Nile Meridian. It's, it's, it's roughly 31 degrees uh, longitude to the east. And um, this Nile Meridian is what has been called by the ancient ones of Kemet as the first line, the line of first time, the Golden Meridian. It's called Zeb Tepe. And it is said that this is the golden meridian because if you go under, you'll find gold along this particular meridian. But it also uh, mimics, as, as you said, as above the galaxy, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in the, the Milky Way, rather. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it's the rivers below, the river that is apparent in the rivers above. And uh, it is said that this is civilization as we know it has moved along this Nile meridian. Many people will look to ancient Egypt and think, oh, that's where a lot of uh, modern civilization came from. But uh, Credo Muto, one of our great Sanusis, tells us that actually the, the knowledge went up the Nile Meridian from here where we are in the south, here in South Africa. And we only have to go to Pumalanga to start seeing what it is that he meant. In Pumalanga, we have Inzala Yolanga. Inzala Yolanga is a sacred site which is a stone calendar which predates Stonehenge by many thousands of years. And, um, and then we have also, and it is the oldest solar calendar known to humanity. I've been there, actually. The, yeah. the energy is just absolutely, I mean, it's, it's indescribable. Absolutely, absolutely. And it predates Napta Playa, which is in Egypt. So evidently there's knowledge that was held here that moved up you know, going up the Nile Meridian until it reached there, finally uh, culminating in the Great Pyramid of Giza, which when you look at the alignments between um, where we are on the planet and, you know, stellar bodies such as Sirius or the Orion, they're all in communion, you know, and in communication and in alignment with these. Um, Then not, so that's the oldest solar calendar in the world. 
If we go not too far from that in the mountains of uh, Swaziland, we have the Lebombo Mountains where the oldest lunar calendar um, in the world has been discovered, you know, which is uh, notches made in the bone of a fibula, of a baboon. And it is, it is said that it is young women who started realizing that their monthly cycles were aligned with the cycles of, of the, the moon. moon. Yes. And then they started tracking that and they created this lunar calendar. So the oldest lunar calendar in the world um, you know, and the oldest solar calendar in the world are found here in the south. Um, but not only that, in that same area, we have recently had the Makondra Mountains or the Barberton Greenbelt uh, declared as a UNESCO heritage site because it's, it contains the oldest DNA of the planet, you know, and, the, and uh, so there's something about this particular part of the world, which then is all on the, what they call the Nile Meridian, you know, which then moved up, as Baba Kreda said, along this uh, Zeb Tepe Nile Meridian and erupting as the Nile does um, in the either at the Great Lakes or in the highlands of Ethiopia, manifesting as a river that uh, if eventually uh, found itself into the desert, allowing civilization to happen in a place that civilization couldn't happen if there was no water in the desert. So the Nile River has carried so much, you know, that... Um, of, of the knowledge that we know, because if we look into the Greeks, so much, so many of the Greeks or so many of the Romans learned in Egypt, you know, before they went out and took the knowledge that we know as modern medicine, as modern astronomy, as modern mathematics, you know, came from this particular Nile meridian. So that's that's one of my favorite rivers, uh, the longest river in the world. Um, but then we have the deepest river in the world, the Congo River. Mm-hmm. And it's also the most powerful river in the world. And uh, it's, 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 it runs through the Congo Basin, you know, and the Congo Jungle, which is the s- second largest, um, you know, rainforest next to the Amazon. Uh, but what is really, um, where it arises, it arises in the Great Rift Valley of East Africa. And uh, it carries with it, um, obviously, everything. That's a very highly volcanic area of, of, of the continent. And, uh, but it travels through a deeply wounded part of Africa. If we look at the war, the Congo War, which is one of the highest numbers of deaths, you know, uh, in, in the Congo War, in a place which has... Congo is actually the country with the highest... Uh, water sources in the continent, and yet most of those uh, water sources are not are not potable. Potable, yeah, potable, um, and uh, because of war, because of war, because of um, the destructions of war, and so we have the most water rich country in the world being one of the most water scarce countries in the wow. world. And uh, we all know that th- there's, you know, great uh, war of resources that, that, that have taken place in, in that country. It's got high biodiversity, but such great atrocities that have taken mm-hmm. place there. And we start to see that it was born, the Congo River was born from a place of wounding, the wound of the, of the continent, the Rift Valley, where um, we have a lot of tectonic, tect- tectonic uh, activity, volcanic activity, earthquake activity. So we start understanding why in later time there would be so much conflict in that particular area where this river flows through. So we can already start to understand the medicine of the river through its source and the medicine in terms of what we see in terms of the conflict that is in that part of the world. So the rivers 
teachers in so many different ways. Um, the Zambezi River meanders through about six to nine countries, and it doesn't take you know a straight route you know, like the Niger River. And everywhere it forms, it's forming rituals. You know, it is said that it forms rituals. You know, because it is drawing sources from the one end, depositing in another, until it finally goes through two. Uh, it goes through Lake Kariba and 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 the Kaburubasa Basin before eventually going through to the Indian Ocean. And in, in its movement, it's it's moving with ritual, and uh, the the ritual that it moves with is is the ritual that is determined by the spirit of that river, which they call the Nyami Nyami. It is the river serpent, and this river serpent carries the carries the cosmology of the river, which is taken care of by the custodian I spoke about earlier mm-hmm. of the Tonga people, you know, who carry the wisdom through this river. So the river itself is a living, breathing entity. It's a living, breathing being who, which, if I can also say, actually the original source is in Botswana, in what the, a place that they call Mahadi Khadi. And Mahadi Khadi is a place, it's, it's in the desert. So that's the original source of the, of the uh, Zambezi River before it moved to its source in Zambia. And uh, when we look at how Mahadi Khadi was uh, has been named, um, Khadi may be referred to the feminine to the to an aunt, but it's also a place of great dryings. So in the naming of our indigenous people, when they named that place Mahadi Khadi, they not only knew that there was a river that had uh, that there was a source of water that had established from there, but they also knew that it was going to dry, you know, with time. But they also knew that what it carried was the feminine, which is what rivers carry in indigenous African cosmology, is they carry the feminine principle. And uh, not only just the feminine principle, but the young feminine principle, the premenstrual or menstrual feminine principle. And uh, so when we see our rivers polluted, we understand gender-based violence, you know, because that uh, when we see the way the rivers are struggling, you know, when we see the way they are blocked, we start understanding why it is that we have such violence against, you know, young females um, in, in the world today. So, so what you're saying is the societal ills that we're seeing is not disconnected from how we're relating to nature? Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. So do, what does this mean in terms of our responsibility for healing? So it means, firstly, moving away from this very human-centered idea of healing. Um, so if we are to start looking at, for instance, something like gender-based violence, then we need to look at how we treat our rivers. You know, So it, it, it requires us to get into an environmental conservational space as well in order to understand, because the rivers are mirroring what's happening in society, society is re- mirroring what's happening in the rivers when we speak about what's happening with the, with the young feminine. Uh, so it, that takes us back into Hantu, into Kuntu, into Bintu, into, uh, into Muntu, that everything has Ntu cycling through it. You know, all aspects of nature or nature has into cycling through it. Therefore, as humans seeking healing, we need to be healing that which is um, our brother and our sister, all our relations, which is time. We need to be healing time. We need to be healing locality. We need to be healing um, space. We need to be healing things. And we need to be healing each other uh, as humans, all in alignment with Ntu. What I really love about African indigenous wisdom 
is that it is so embodied. And so if we are going to have this conversation in relation to a traumatized community, for example, how do we engage with ourselves and each other in a way that allows the wisdom to rise from within us in a very embodied way? And so I love the idea of reconnecting with ritual, with just being in in nature that we are a part of because that is the environment that supports our awareness of us as part of something greater. Absolutely, absolutely. And you mentioned a, a, an important word which is embodiment, you know, or embodied. And uh, perhaps um, one thing about, you know, African indigenous knowledge is everything exists in the body because the body is seen as uh, as the gateway, it's seen as the ship, it's seen as the temple, for lack of a better word, of spirit and of Ntu. And uh, so, for instance, if we were to connect with our ancestors, you know, we find that we're able to embody our ancestors within our actual bodies. Often it's been thought that uh, Africans worship ancestors. Yes. and uh, And this is brought a consternation between uh, kind of Abrahamic religions, you know, such as Christianity and indigenous knowledge, where it is seen that they do not see God, you know, Africans do not see God as, uh, especially as the monotheistic God, um, but um, but worship ancestors instead. And this could not be further from the truth, you know. Um, Africans acknowledge that there is an all pervasive you know being that we've called Nater, if we want to call it God or whatever we can um, but that it manifests in multiple ways and it manifests in the continuum of time from the ancestors to the present into the future into the descendants those who are to come and we who are walking living on this planet at this particular time are the mediums through which the past and the future are uh, are embodied, and so we can embody the the ancestors and the descendants, you know, through us at this time. We all, I think, genetics will tell us that we all come from a particular, you know, um, lineage, you know, and we have particular traits that we will exhibit because of the lineage or the blood, you know, that that, that runs, expressed that's yeah. expressed through us. By the same way, um, in African cosmology, so do our ancestors at multiple levels, and how they express ourselves, you know, interestingly enough, is we often find when somebody has a calling to become a traditional healer that they'll say that your ancestors are sitting on your shoulders or they're sitting in your body. And you often find when one is going through what they call a, an initiation calling, a twasa illness, before they become initiated into, into their calling, they'll often have certain physical ailments, which when you take them to a normal doctor, you know, a Western doctor, it, it won't render it. Even if they have stroke-like you know, symptoms, you know, it won't, it, it, it's, it's unhealable. You know? And you, normally it's ritual that is required. And this ritual is in determining who or what is sitting, is embodying itself, you know, within the body and what of the ancestors is embodying itself, you know, through this particular body, you know, that it's trying to send messages through because the body carries the messages from the ancestors. And as much as that elder said, the lions are carrying, sorry, the elephants are carrying, you know, the messages. 
So, for instance, we'll find that our our cardinal ancestors, you know, be it our you know our maternal grandfather, our maternal grandmother, our paternal grandmother, our paternal grandfather, tend to sit on our ball and socket joints in the body. Now, um, now this is something that is not traditionally known, but it it came it came as an insight to you recently, right? Yes, absolutely. You know, as I was working with the ancestors, and you know, working with how. How do we experience? So, firstly, if, if if I go into back into Ubuntu, you know, if we look at Ubuntu, it's got f- those four manifestations of Muntu, Kuntu, Kintu, and uh, Hantu, and then Ubuntu is the apex, and we see a pyramid, oh. you know, that 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 manifests there. Yeah. By the same token, within ourselves, if we look at our 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 ancestry, we have got our paternal, you know, mate. M- our paternal grandfather, our paternal grandmother, our maternal grandfather, our maternal grandmother, and we are at the center. We form another pyramid, <laughs> you know, and you know. So then we start understanding why our ancestors built pyramids, you know, um, because you know, it's because they they, uh, they 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 demonstrate or they, they they illustrate many many aspects of 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 our cosmology and our way of being. And so, by the same token, uh, we know we've got four ball and socket joints on our body. You know, um, we've got you know our left shoulder, our right shoulder, and our two hips. And in the same way, because we've got these four cardinal ancestors, they sit on either one of those uh, ball and socket joints. joints. And which is why you'll tend to find that people who are in having a calling tend to, to to start having problems in the joints. You know, either not being able to walk or you know things like that. It's because maybe one of those ancestors is trapped, is unhealthy, is unwell, or even if they're not trapped, they're trying to get a message through, but the body is not in the frequency that is able to accept it. And so this is where ritual comes in. This is where cleansings come in. This is where alignments come in um, as part of the indigenous paradigm in order to find alignment between self um, and these four cardinal points, which then forms the pyramid, um, and between the ancestors that have come before, who we are now in the present, and those who are coming to the future. And yeah, everything in ritual. That's incredible, Rotendo. Let's talk a little, a little bit more about embodiment. Mm. This is what also really fascinates me about you, is that you have found a way to really embody the wisdom and express it through your relationship with martial arts. Can you tell us about Wushu? You are a silver medalist in the world champions of Wushu. Am I right? That's correct. I mean, (laughs) tell us about that. Tell us about your practice. Wow. (laughs) Yes, so... um you know, I, I went to a boys' school uh, for my uh, for my A levels. You know, my 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 final year of high school, uh, final two years of high school, and um, I was beaten up a lot. <laughs> and then I, from there, I then decided I was going to study engineering. And uh, this was way back in '94, and uh, I was one of six females in a hundred class of a hundred. And I found myself being beaten up, not necessarily physically like I was, you know, at the boys' school where I did my A-levels. And the reason I had to do my A-levels at a boys' school was because I wanted to study physics. And uh, the girls' school that I was at did not believe girls could do physics. So, you know, I had to go to a boys' school to study it. Um, And so when I arrived at university, you know, knowing that I was going into a very male-dominated sphere, having... 
the trauma, so to speak, of you know uh, of the of what I'd experienced at high school, uh, I immediately saw you know that there was a kung fu club at school in you know, okay. at university, and I thought that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to learn how to beat up boys, you know, and. Um, and so I joined uh, the kung fu, um, you know, school, and uh, and it was it was wonderful. I got to express uh, myself uh, and my anger and uh, mm-hmm. and all of that. Um, but with time, I realized that no, this is not what the, the point of martial arts is. It's not about me, you know, being violent and learning to be violent. And it took me many years to actually come into understanding what does wushu. Uh, which is the actual term for Chinese martial arts, mean? And uh, maybe I can just break it down what the word wushu is. And often people speak about kung fu, uh, mm-hmm. and kung fu is is a term that Bruce Lee took to the West when he brought you know this martial art to the West. And kung fu is actually mastery through limitations of any discipline. Uh, so you can be a kung fu of medicine. You can be a kung fu of street cleaning. You can be a kung fu master of you know of baking. You know, so it's a mastery. It's a of mastery, something. and it's a mastery that comes through hard work. <laughs> you know, through hard work and limitations. You know, that's what kung fu is. But martial arts is also hard work. <laughs> you know, and uh, the actual term, as I've said, is wushu. And wushu is broken up into two. Uh, you know, there's parts. There's wu and there's shu. Wu, if you go into the into the characters, is broken up into two characters. There's Xi and there's He. Where Xi means to stop and He is an ancient weapon of war. Now Shu, the, it actually means a discipline or a practice. So when you break that down, even though we can loosely say Wushu is Chinese martial arts, what it actually means is the art of stopping war. <laughs> and so we learn, you know, of the ways of the warrior because we need to understand the ways of the warrior in order to learn to stop the war. And so this is why um, I have taken this up as a as a practice um, over how many years now twenty seven years um, that I have taken it up and um, essentially uh, in what they call the externals, which is what you see Jackie Chan and Jet Li doing in the movies, but more so uh, in recent times Tai Chi, uh, which is you know a lot softer and slow, and you usually see old people in the parks doing it which is actually an incredibly potent martial art simply because you're learning to tap into softness, you're learning to tap into slowness, you're learning to tap into metabolism, you know, requires you, you know, to, you know, that's why it's usually done by older people because they they have learned perseverance, they have learned endurance, you know, and they're able to uh, take part in those very slow, painful movements in that slow manner, you know, because they've learned the art of endurance. And uh, Tai Chi also incorporates a lot of principles from Qigong, the cultivation of Qi, the life force, you know, as part of the principle. But it has got a very strong martial aspect to it as well. As I said, Tai Chi is actually a very potent martial art, even though it just looks so beautiful. Its potency lies in its softness. Its potency (laughs) lies in its slowness, you know, which is a bit of a contradiction when we think of force as power. You know, um, but actually, and when I try and equate the more external side to the more internal side, I see the external side as being more masculine, the internal, the Tai Chi as being more feminine, which then speaks once again to the rivers. You know, Tai Chi is a very watery, um, you know, um, aspect, whereas the external is more fiery. And so in the Chinese martial arts and the Chinese cosmology, in as much as the, the, the African cosmology, we're always working with the elements. You know, we're always working with how do we balance out 
the elements of water against or with the elements of fire, earth, and and uh, and air as well. So, Rutendo, if we look at what's happening in the world right now, if we look at what's happening in our country, if we look at what what's happening in Zimbabwe, it feels like everything is falling apart. And it really struck me when I heard a poet, David White, say something on his recent visit to South Africa. And he said that he feels that when he's here, that this is the laboratory for the world. Do you feel that what's happening right now is a chaotic natural process of death, of breaking down, or do you feel that this is part of us moving away? Do you think that it's part of the process, or do you believe that it's moving away from a process of healing? Um, both and. Mm. Uh, so just in terms of this being a laboratory uh, for the world, if we go to a sacred site in Botswana, Tsudilo Hills, uh, which is somewhere in the northwest of, of Botswana. And uh, it is the only real outcrop, you know, the higher ground in Botswana. Otherwise, everything else is completely flat. And it's one of the highest concentrations of Bushman paintings in the world, of Khoisan paintings in the world, including paintings of whales and penguins, you know, right there in Botswana, which is very interesting in, in to how the... Uh, First Nations ancestors, you know, uh, were there. What is very, very interesting in that um, in that site is that the rock, which is volcanic rock, has naturally created a relief of the map of Africa. Uh, so there's this, and it's, it's it's identically the map of Africa, which is a relief in the rock, the natural rock, and underneath that map of Africa is a cave. And this seems to be nature's way of giving some signal as to the importance of this particular place in the southern tip of the African continent, mm -hmm. you know, and its purpose in the, the continent at large, but also in the world as, as, as a whole. And so that's just to, to, to say, what is that laboratory, you know, yes. uh, you know that, that, that you're speaking to? So back to the both and. Uh, in Kemetic cosmology or ancient Egyptian cosmology, uh, we follow, we know that, and, and in other cosmologies as well, we know that different archetypal energies um, govern different moon cycles. And uh, the moon cycle that we're currently in uh, began on the 20th of uh, July and it will end around the 19th of August. And this particular moon cycle in the Osirian tradition uh, is governed by a deity called Sekret. Now, in other cosmologies, uh, Sekret is Kali um, and uh, is Bina, you know, in the Kabbalistic, and, you know, is Nomchoi here in the south, which is the principle of the duality of creation and destruction at the same time. Uh, so both and. And uh, what we know from nature um, is that in order for for a seed to germinate, it has to die as a seed in order for it to germinate into the, the plant and eventually the tree that it becomes. So we're in this dynamic still point place where creation and destruction is taking place simultaneously. 
uh, where we as humans have had such a heavy hand in moving away from custodianship of nature into control of nature, where we have moved away from dom- dominion into domination. And uh, many of our our practices and you know that which we have brought into the world, especially for the the purposes of capital, you know, has had a destructive you know influence on the world. And we've spoken about the Congo River, as uh, you know, the Congo is the most water rich country in the world and the the most water scarce country in the world because of war around resources. Um, so. Nature is responding, not fighting, but it's responding um, to firstly telling us, hey, <laughs> you need to stop, you need to reconsider. Our basic stepping in Tai Chi requires you to move forward, lean back, and then move forward again. And so it's, it's very slow because you keep leaning back in order to go forward. And nature is trying to get us back into that leaning back, you know, assessing in order to move forward. And in uh, African cosmology, amongst the Akan in Ghana, this is what they call the principle of Sankofa. You know, where Sankofa tells you, look back into the past, you know, learn from it, bring it into the present in order to create a different future. And uh, this principle of Sankofa, it is symbolized by a bird looking back with an egg, looking back towards its back. And it just seems like a symbol that they paint on walls and put on drums. But when we go into nature, we realize that Sankofa exists in everything. Sankofa exists in the homeostatic system of the body as a feedback you know, mechanism. Sankofa exists in sugar regulation. Sankofa exists in psychology. Sankofa re- exists in the market, in sales. Sankofa exists in engineering. Sankofa, Sankofa exists in the predator-prey cycle in nature. And Sankofa exists in the environment. And when we see the, uh, the expansion of natural disasters that we have today, you know, we know that there's something that's happened from the past or the way we are in the present and we need to look back in the past in order to see what it is that we need to do now in order to create a greater future. So nature is, re- is responding in a feedback loop, you know, and, uh, and uh, whether it is ex- responding in feedback in the economy, which is crashing, you know, and going into recession, whether it is feedbacking in terms of our education system, which um, it's, it's not functioning the way it used to, our health system because of the pandemic, which is, you know, has increased, you know, uh, which is keeping us all, you know, abuzz, not knowing quite where to go. Whatever it is, nature is responding, not reacting, but responding to how it is that we as humans have uh, has have placed a heavy hand but more than that nature is actually just responding to the natural cycles of time mm-hmm. you know because it's it's it always has the cycles of birth and rebirth and things need to be destroyed in order for creation to happen again and so this is the time we find ourselves in right now in this particular month we are as i say in the in the cycle of of kali of secret of 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 bina you know when we need to be really looking into how do we live in cycles in healing because we've moved away from cyclical living so women's menstrual cycles are no longer aligned directly to the moon cycles as they were when the young ladies, you know, created the uh, the the calendar, the lunar calendar on the fibula of a baboon. Which why a baboon? Because in ancient cosmology, baboons are holders of wisdom. You know, so they would have used the baboon fibula in order to uh, in order to use that. So it's we're trying to be taken back into being aligned with the cycles. You know, the cycles of nature, which we've become so out of tune with 
And because we're out of tune with, we've actually accelerated what would have been the natural cycle of destruction that nature was bringing upon us. So if us as Bantu are to reconnect with the wisdom of nature and to really listen to the voices of those who have come before us, how would you summarize what it is that we need to move forward remembering, committing to? I'd firstly use that word remember, you know. So go back into memory and see what has been done before, not to copy it or to bring it into this day and age, um, but to see what it is that needs to be transformed uh, because healing is as much restoration as it is transformation. Uh, it is uh, it is the movement from one form to the other, whether it is the movement from dis-ease to wellness. And so we can learn many uh, clues from what has been done before, the ways that our ancestors have um have have taught us and which a lot of it has been uh, written uh, maybe not in the books that we understand uh, but has been written in our songs you know has been written in our dances has been written in the shapes of our masks the designs and the clay pots has been written if you look at Ndebele hut you know has been written in the Ndebele hut you know but has also been written on the walls of the caves by our first nations peoples and there's a lot of encoding and decoding that we need to do in order to understand. And one such as Ubaba Kredomutwa, you know, was one who was trying to help us, you know, to encode and decode for this time that we're in, in terms of the many, uh, the many uh, warnings he issued, you know, about the time that we're, that we're in and that we're actually, which he died a day before we went into lockdown. You know. I found that incredibly significant. Yeah, absolutely significant. Um, so, yeah, remember as in go back into memory, remember as come back into community and remember as in bring back the fragments which have been uh, cast to the ends of the earth. Thank you for listening to Threads of Healing, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ila Manga. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so on Apple Podcasts Spotify. And feel free to leave a review and tell us what you think. If you have found this podcast inspiring and useful, and you know someone who would too, please feel free to pass this along.